The Bible says by his blood, he created a new and a living way. Well, a way leads somewhere. So what way or path did he make for us by his blood? Well, the path into his presence. We didn't have a path into his presence. It wasn't there. It was all overgrown with the weeds and the bramble and the stickers of sin. But then he shed his blood. And when he shed his blood, it it just blazed out a trail for you and me to enter into the throne of grace boldly. But we do that by prayer. We do it by prayer. I have a vision for our church. There's something in my heart, and here's my vision. I'm believing God to raise up a mighty, interceding, praying, fervently praying prayer army this year. I'm talking about where we get together and we don't just pray, we cry out. Cry out to God. Because I believe what he has for us is on the other side of prayer. Something powerful is waiting on the other side of your prayer. Amen? Now, I'm going to preach on prayer until we get it. He said, well, pastor, I pray. Well, I'm, uh, you, I, you're going to see what I mean in the next few weeks. I'm going to preach till we get it. I'm believing for a spirit of prayer to fall upon us. Your prayer life is never going to be the same. You keep coming to church here, your prayer life is not going to be the same. I'm going to speak that over you. Your prayer life ain't going to be the same. It's going to accelerate, climb, grow stronger, deeper, wider. So today I want to talk to you about something that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, and that is your private prayer life. Now let's look at Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to you and to me, and he says, Matthew 6, verse 5, and when you pray, you will not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward right then and there. But you, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. But you, when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret, oh, this is great. We'll do what everybody say it with me. Reward you openly. Isn't that an incredible promise about prayer? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And we pray that, Lord, you'll speak to our hearts. And I pray with all of my heart that you will deepen our prayer life. Lord, help us to to tap into new springs, new brooks under the ground, new power, a new flow, a new uh, uh, angle and access and, Lord, new, new power in the place of prayer. I pray that you will pour out on us the spirit of prayer, that we would cry out to God, that we would find a place to pray, that our prayer life would, would truly, Lord, be transformed when we realize what is ours in you. Thank you for the new and the living way. Can you say that with me, church? Thank you for the new and the living way. Now pray with me and just say, Lord, increase my prayer life. Can you pray it like you really mean it? If you really mean it, let's try it one more time. Lord, increase my prayer life. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. Now last time, 
I opened a new prayer series that I just called A Call to Pray, A Call to Pray, because I'm really offering and extending and challenging us with a call to pray more than we've ever prayed. How many of you can see looking at our culture, we better be in prayer? Amen? Now, the truth is that life goes better with prayer. Now, I'm not just going to give you little formulaic jingles. I want you to listen. These are truisms that life goes better with prayer because you're not carrying your burdens around. They're on him. Prayer makes your load lighter, your heart brighter, your life happier. It does. Guarantee you. Prayer shortens the distance between you and God's best. Christians pray like humans breathe. It comes naturally because the moment we come to Christ and we say, Lord, forgive me my sins, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of every one of us. And when the Holy Spirit comes inside of every one of us, did you know that not only is he a spirit of peace and a spirit of wisdom and a spirit who strengthens, but he's a spirit of prayer. He prays. The Holy Spirit prays. He's a praying Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans that he prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He prays for us according to the will of God. The Holy Ghost this week prayed for you from deep down inside of you in ways that you don't even know. We have an intercessor living inside of us. So if we have within us a praying spirit, don't you think he's looking for a mouthpiece who will enter into prayer with him? He's a praying Holy Spirit. He's a praying Holy Spirit. Prayer changes things. Did you know that there are things that God has for you and me that we don't have because we haven't asked for it? And I'm adding the speaker here right now. There's things in God's will for you and me that we don't possess right now because we haven't gone to him in prayer and asked for them. James said, you have not because you ask not. Isn't that something? God's got something up there for me, and I don't have it yet because I haven't asked him for it. I want everything God has for me. How about you? So you say, well, what does he have for me that I don't have yet? I don't know. Ask him. But the Bible is clear. You have not because you ask not. Prayer changes things. It changes our life. If you follow the footprints leading up to every great move of God in history, every revival, every awakening, every time God ever moved that shook the world, shook a city, shook a person, the footprints leading up to it are the footprints of prayer. There is no great move of God that is not preceded by prayer. God has chosen to answer prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Notice there's an if at the very beginning of that verse. If my people, if, if we pray. So it's a conditional promise. If we pray, God will move. If we, so therefore, we can flip that coin and say, if I don't pray, if we, if we don't do what that verse said, then the, the, land, the land won't be healed. There's something that won't happen. There's things that won't take place if we don't pray. Now, I want to just look at what Jesus shared with us and taught us about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Because nobody in the Bible, hear me on this one, not anybody encouraged prayer more than the Lord Jesus, your Savior, my Savior. Nobody. And you know what? Nobody prayed like Jesus prayed. Nobody. Nobody. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so powerfully and mightily and with such intensity, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And the angels came and ministered to him and strengthened him and prepared him to face the cross. Nobody prayed like Jesus. So we have a praying Savior. We have within us a praying Holy Spirit. So doesn't it, doesn't it reason then that we should be a praying people? Come on, everybody. A praying people. Now, I just want to just start real basic and real elementary, and let's just look at what Jesus said. First of all, it's very clear to me in Sermon on the Mount when he, when, uh, in our text that Jesus expects his people to pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. He expects his children to pray. He expects us to be in prayer. And he gave us all kinds of incentives to pray. The promises that Jesus attached to prayer are amazing. Like, like, how about overflowing joy? How many of you like being happy? I said, how many of you like being happy? Let me see. Do you like being happy? I don't think anybody likes being sad, depressed, down. No. So listen to what Jesus said. He said in John 16, 24, you haven't tried this before, but begin now. Ask using my name and you will receive and your cup of joy will overflow. He attaches answered prayer with overflowing joy. He attaches the place of prayer with overflowing joy. Prayer gives strength in temptation. The Bible says keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. Jesus said that. Matthew 26, keep alert and pray or temptation will overpower you. So not only does prayer bring joy, but prayer brings power and strength and victory in the place and in the hour of temptation. Prayer is where we get our needs met. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his famous uh, trilogies, ask, seek, and knock. Now those are progressive. We begin by asking for our basic needs to be met. The place of asking is where your basic needs are met. Ask and you shall receive. He didn't say maybe, hope so, perhaps so, maybe so. He said, you will. Ask and you will. You shall receive. So there's asking and that's where, that's where uh, prayer begins. Asking for your needs to be met. My God shall supply all of your needs. According to his right, uh, according to his uh, glory. Now, the second word is seeking. In seeking, your questions are answered. This is a higher level. Ask that your needs are met, but seek and you will find. This is where you got questions. Lord, I wonder about this. I wonder about that. Where am I to go? What am I to do? Give me your will. Show me your will. Guide me in the way. Direct my steps. Lead me in the path. Shine your light on me. I need an answer, Lord. I need wisdom. Seek, and you will find. So that's a higher level. And then we come to knocking. Knocking is where doors of opportunity are opened. Asking, your needs are met. Seeking, your questions are answered. Knocking, the doors that nobody can open but him are open. Knock, and it shall be opened. 
He is the one who opens and no man shuts and he shuts and no man opens. So we, we ask and we receive. We seek and he answers us and we find. We knock and the door is open. These are incentives that Jesus gave for prayer. Ask, seek, knock. And isn't it interesting, if you put those three together, the first letter, ask, is A, seek is S, and knock is K, it's ask. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, that, that's a call to prayer. Every one of those words are prayer words. So everybody say with me, ask, and I'll receive. Seek, and I'm going to find. Knock, and that door is going to open. Give the Lord praise. Come on. Now, next, the Lord forbids something when it comes to prayer. You know what he forbids? Prayer for show. He said, when you pray, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites who pretend piety by praying publicly on street corners and in the synagogues when everybody can see them, when everybody can see them and hear them and look at them and go, oh, aren't they spiritual? He said, these words really get me. He said, that's all the reward they will ever get. What reward are they going to get when somebody looks and says, aren't they something? Jesus said, lap it up. You're gonna, that's all you're going to get. Because you're not going to get anything from heaven if you pray for show. Now, we know what it is when to be in a room with somebody that prays for show. Come on, right? We, we know what that's like. You're, you're sitting there and somebody starts praying. There's a group of you. Oh, thou God, wouldest thou, I pray. And they come off with King James English like Jesus spoke in King James. And, and, and after a minute or two of their praying, you, you, you're very aware that they're really not talking to God, they're talking to you. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to do that. Now, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always went to the heart of motive. He always dealt with motive. He said, he said the Old Testament said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, don't be angry at your brother without a cause, because that's what leads to killing. He said, the, the, the Bible says, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't let lust grow in your heart because that's what leads to adultery. He always went down to the motive. The Old Testament dealt with action, but the New Testament deals with the interior, the, the motive of why we do what we do. And in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's always readjusting our motives. So he deals with three things that we do that are spiritual or religious, and that is praying, fasting, and giving. He says, don't pray to be seen by men, don't fast to be seen by men, and, and don't give to be seen by men. When the offering plate comes down the aisle, don't pull out that $100 bill and pop it. <laughs> Where people behind you and around you look and go, oh, look at what they're giving. But the Bible says Jesus is watching how we give, he's watching how we fast, and he's watching how we pray. He goes, the heart of motive. He said, don't pray for people to hear you. Now, in Jesus' day, I get a kick out of this, but it was the custom of the Jews to go into the synagogues and pray standing up with outstretched, uplifted hands in the synagogues, and they did the same thing on the street corners. They would go to the street corners and lift their hands and pray really loud in those long, flowing robes and all that religious gear they wore. 
and people would look and go, look at that. Would you look at them? Are they not men of God? And of course, they got one eye open watching. Who watches them? And Jesus said, if you do it that way, you get your reward right then, lap it up, enjoy it, because it's all you're going to get. But what we want is what Jesus taught. He said, I want you to learn to pray to your father in secret, where nobody looks. He said, pray to your father privately. He said, but you, when you pray, that's talking about his followers, those who really mean business with God. When you pray, now he's not, he's not coming against corporate prayer because I read this morning in my devotional that when two or more of us agree together as touching anything on earth, it'll be done by the Father in heaven. He's not dissuading us from corporate prayer, but he is calling us to develop a private prayer life, a private prayer life. But you You, my followers, my children, those who know me, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. That means when you go to get alone with God, God meets you there. You go to a secret place, you get into a secret place, he's right there with you, he's in the secret place with you. He's listening in secret as you are praying in the secret place. You've got God's eye, you've got God's ear. The minute he sees you traveling towards your secret place to pray, he meets you there. He says, well, hello, good to have you in the prayer closet. I've been waiting for you to arrive. But you, my true followers, when you pray, when you pray, I want you to learn to develop a private prayer life. Shut the door. Get into a secret place. So everybody say, pray alone. Go into a room where you can't be bothered. Shut the door. Approach God between you and him alone. And Jesus said he's waiting for you there. He's going to listen to you there. He's hearing you there. You may not sense him. You may be struggling to pray. It may seem like, wow, he's a million miles away. But you pray anyway. This happened to me last night. I went into prayer. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't feel like praying. Anybody with me? Every once in a while, you don't feel like praying? I wanted to pray, and I knew I needed to pray, but I didn't feel like praying. But I went into the quiet place anyway. I went to the secret place. And, and, I, and I shut myself in, and I got on my knees, and I just began to pray, and I began to give things to God. And all of a sudden, I was not alone. And all of a sudden, there was a grace, and it began to flow. And it began to get so real that I stood up. I got off my knees and stood up. And suddenly, Jesus was in that room with me. And you know what? He talked with me. You know, prayer is two-way. It's not just giving him your needs, but once you're done praying, then Listen. Because what does the old song say? I go to the garden alone, 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 while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other can ever know. Come on. Come on. 
That song is all about going to the secret place. I go to the garden alone. I get alone with God. I go where he's waiting for me. I talk to him. I give him my problems, my cares. And then I allow that praying spirit that is within me, the praying Holy Ghost, to pray through me, to put on my heart what to pray for, because he already knows. He's a praying Holy Spirit. Prayer is not twisting God's arm to do what we want him to do. It's entering into his will and praying according to his will. A very popular Christian movie about this very thing is called The War Room. We showed it here, and we're having a class on it, two classes, during the week that started last week. Matter of fact, let me make a shameless plug right now. Last week, our ladies' ministry began a brand-new six-week prayer series along with a study booklet on the war room. It's at 7 o'clock on Monday night in the fellowship hall. And if you can't make Monday night at 7 o'clock, you can come Thursday morning at 10 a.m. in room 210 upstairs. We're going through the war room. We're learning to go into the private place, the secret place, the war room. And in the war room, a woman named Elizabeth is experiencing a troubled marriage. I know that's rare. A troubled marriage. Have you ever noticed how the devil attacks marriage? A troubled marriage. And she doesn't know what to do. And during this time, she goes to work for an elderly woman named Miss Clara, who happens to be a lifelong, fervent prayer. And sensing the stress on Elizabeth about her marriage, she suggests that she fight for her marriage in a prayer closet she calls her war room. She tells Elizabeth, and I'm quoting, in order to stand up and fight the enemy, you need to get on your knees and pray. Elizabeth creates her own secret place in her own home. And there she begins to go and prays over her marriage and her family and begins to bind the devil and enter into intercession for her home. And the movie shows how eventually her marriage turns and is blessed and the marriage is saved. And the testimony of the, the, the movie is that the battle was won in the place of prayer. Now, I, I thank God for counseling. I believe in counseling. But listen, have you prayed about it? You say, well, well, Jeff, you know, you know I, I just, I've, I've talked to my friends about it, I know, but have you talked to your best friend about it? Have you gone into the place of prayer? Have you shut yourself in and have you bombarded heaven? Have you bound the devil? Have you gone into the war room, the secret place, and prayed over the needs, the attacks, the issues of your life? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Because the battles, the great battles of life are fought and won in prayer. We battle not against flesh and blood. You're not dealing with flesh and blood in your home. You're not dealing with flesh and blood in your marriage, not ultimately. But we are battling principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places and rulers of the darkness of this world that are coming against us because we have a J on our chest. So isn't it funny how we'll do everything in the world then finally say, well, I guess I'm going to have to pray. It ought to be first response. It ought to be hit your knees right then when you know you're under attack and pray. How important is a secret place in your life and mine? The Bible reveals that all the great men and women of God 
All the heroes of the Bible were private prayers, all of them. I did a little tracking. Watch this, just a little bit. The patriarchs, the father of our faith, Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, built altars in every new place. You track them in the Old Testament. Every time they came to a new place in their journey, they built an altar to God, and there they prayed alone to God. Moses went up into the mountain alone and spent, it's hard to believe, but a couple of months up there. And when he came down, his face was glowing in the dark. He was like a Christmas bulb. They had, they had to turn away. They said, Moses, you're going to have to cover up your face because the glow of God is on you. How did the glow of God get on him? He went up into the mountain and he prayed alone to God. Jesus, our Savior, broke away all the time to go into private prayer. As a matter of fact, I've noticed he never made major decisions that were not preceded by prayer. Before he selected his disciples, the Bible says he went up into a mountain and he stayed all night there in prayer to God. And as the sun rose, he came down and walked to the seashore and there was Peter and there was John. And he said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He chose them after prayer. He did not make major decisions until he prayed through. And that's the son of God who never had a sin in his life. He prayed privately, as I've already mentioned, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he knew he was going up against the challenge and the trial of his life. He preceded it by prayer. He didn't just go into the the, the trial of the cross unprepared. He prayed all night. He sweat as it were, great drops of blood. Even when his disciples fell asleep and didn't stand with him, he prayed alone in the garden. And I love that it says an angel came and strengthened him. Paul the Apostle, the great apostle of the Gentiles, I believe the greatest Christian that ever lived. Paul the Apostle, when he was saved, when he was knocked down on the road to Damascus, and he went blind, and he was led into a certain town and into a certain house, the Bible says he prayed. He prayed. And as he was praying, God spoke to a man named Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go into a certain house on a street called Straight. Oh, but how, how, how metaphorical is that? The street was called Straight, better than crooked. I want you to go to a street called Straight. And I, and I want you to lay hands on, on Saul. And, and Ananias said, no, 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 you don't understand. This guy, he's been wreaking havoc on the church. And Jesus said, it's okay, he's mine now. And Ananias went and laid hands on him. But his sight returned when he had been in the place of prayer. Then he went for three years off into Galatia. And there it says he was alone with God, or Arabia rather. And he was alone with God for three years, getting his theology all straightened up. He spent three years alone with God before heading into any kind of ministry. Paul the Apostle. And and what was the church born into? What, What was the birthday of the church? The Holy Ghost fell on a prayer meeting. It fell on a prayer meeting. The Holy Ghost fell when they were all gathered together in the upper room, 120 of them, and they were praying. And that is when suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were gathered. And they were in prayer and they all spoke in dialects they had never learned. And the church's birthday, the church was born in the presence of a prayer meeting. Not a business meeting. 
not a theology meeting, a prayer meeting. If you want to just jump out of the Bible and go into a little bit of Christian history, let me tell you one. We have Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was the mother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, who was involved in the Great Awakening. There were only three bright lights in the Great Awakening, George Whitfield, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley. And those three men ushered in a move of God that shook England and shook America. And I believe there would have been no U.S. Constitution if it had not been for the Great Awakening that preceded it. Thousands and thousands were saved. George Whitfield went into the, one of the churches in England. He was a gifted orator. I mean, par excellence, like few in the history of the world. He had a voice that sounded like a bell. 30,000 people could hear him without a sound system. He went into the Church of England. He said, I got to preach. The words on me, he's a young man. Young man, he'd gotten saved and he was on fire. And so he went into this church of England and he preached. And he said, you must be born again. And they kicked him out. So he said, all right, you kick me out. I'll go preach somewhere else. And he was walking along one day and he saw a bunch of coal miners. And, and he knew, and he saw the, 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 the tunnels that they crawled down into. Most of them died before they were 30 from lung disease being down in these coal mines. He saw these tunnels and he knew they were down there. And George Whitfield, this young man, he was in his low 20s when he did this. He shouted down into one of those tunnels. I'm gonna be here today at two o'clock to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if anybody wants to hear it. And he walked away. He came back later that afternoon and here is a field full of coal miners. He said, I couldn't believe it, but I preached the gospel. And he said, I'll never forget seeing the little white rivulets etched into their coal blackened faces from their tears as they heard the gospel. And from then on, he didn't go into buildings. He went into fields and the great awakening exploded. But watch this. There was a great prayer behind it. Her name was Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Everybody say, oh my. She had 19 children. Say, oh my again, just for my sake. She lost nine of them to death. 10 lived. She lost half of her children. That's the days they lived in. Those days in England were terrible. The, 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 the lifespan was so low. Susanna's husband frequently left her alone for long periods of time. Even though he was a preacher, he was a bad husband and not a great Christian. He ended up in debtor's prison. He was put in prison for going into debt for, the, for the, his terrible management or mismanagement of his money. So she's got a husband in prison. She's got 10 children walking around. She doesn't know how she's going to feed them. But it just so happened, and by the way, she was, she was also frequently sick. She had all kinds of infirmities and sicknesses, this little woman, Susanna Wesley. But Susanna knew Jesus, and she knew how to pray, and she believed in prayer. And as you can imagine, with 10 children running around this little tiny house, 
How do you find a prayer closet? The Bible says, one day she advised her children. She said, when you see me with my apron over my head, that means I'm in prayer and I don't want you to bother me. So every day she found her prayer closet by making one. She threw the apron over her head. The kids went, whoop, mom's got the apron on. And there she met with Jesus in the best prayer closet she could find, and she bombarded heaven in prayer. Now I want you to think with me for a minute. Of those 10 children, two of them grew up to lead millions of people to Jesus Christ. John Wesley, the preacher, Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, and along with George Whitfield, they lit the world on fire. Just three of them. Behind them was a prayer. Come on, everybody. Now I want to close with this. Jesus gave us an incentive. He said, if you pray in secret, your father will reward you in the open. Now notice what the hypocrites wanted, being rewarded in the open. Jesus said, if you'll go to me in secret, I'll reward you openly where it's obvious to people that I have blessed you. Please hear me today. The God of the Bible is a rewarding God. He's a rewarding God. He rewards his people when they respond to him with obedience and faith. Nine times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, just the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about rewards from God's hands for faith and obedience. He promises those persecuted for Christ are going to be rewarded. He promises those who give, pray, and fast with the right motives will be rewarded. He promised those who practice love towards enemies are going to be rewarded. Great is your reward from your father who is in heaven. The Bible says you can never please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe two things. Listen carefully, church. You must believe that he is and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. See, if I don't believe those two things, I'm not going to pray. Why would I pray if I don't think he's going to reward me or if I don't even believe that he's there? But I got to believe that he is and that he's not only there, but he's a rewarding God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarding God. He's a rewarding God. We, we, we pray in faith. We water it with patience. We reap it with joy. God rewarded Abraham with a child in his old age after 25 years. He rewarded Moses with Israel's deliverance from Egypt after 40 years. He rewarded Joseph by placing him second only to Pharaoh over all of Egypt after Joseph waited 13 years. He rewarded David with the throne of Israel after 10 years of persecution at the hands of Saul. Pray in faith, water in patience, reap in joy. So we enter the secret place with the confidence that God is a rewarder. Man, and do I hold that up to him like I did last night? Lord, you're a rewarder, and I believe that. I am not praying to a wall. You know how many times I stand over there and say, Lord, I'm not praying to a wall. I have prayed to the living God who is and who rewards. He is and he rewards. He is and he rewards. Can we stand together? Yeah, 
here's what I know. If I told you somebody was out in the parking lot and they had something really good for you, and all you had to do is go and say, I'm Bill, I'm Sue, and I understand you've got something for me and I'm here to ask for it. I, I, I don't think any of you We'll just get in your car and drive away and wave at them. Would you? No, you'd wait in a long line if you had to, to get whatever it is the gift giver had for you. Your name's on it. Your name's on it. There's things up there with your name on. You have not because you ask not. So can we say together, he is and he rewards. Can we lift hands to the Lord Jesus today? If you want your prayer life increased, if this is moving on you like it's moving on me, uh, and and you just need God to grace you, to to help you to make this happen, I want you to slip out and just come down to the altar, would you? Just, just, this altar is for you. Slip out. If you're, if you're serious about this, I want you to come and let me pray for you again in this altar. We're going to pray until it happens. Come on, everybody. If you say, Jeff, I want my prayer life to increase. I want that fire to come on me. Oh, this is so serious because we're going to start obtaining. We obtain the promises. We obtain the promises by faith. If I wasn't the preacher, I'd be right down here with you. I'm asking God to increase my prayer life. I'm, 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 I'm asking him to fall on me with that fire. And I'm learning that I've, if I just get into that place, he meets me there and he begins to anoint it. And what begins as sort of a dry undertaking, suddenly there's a flow. And I begin to pray. There's things God has for this church. We're not going to experience them unless we pray. So let's let's just come to him. I love you in the Lord. I love you in the Lord. And I want you to have what I've preached on today. I want you to have it because I know Jesus wants you to have it. Now, Jesus, move on us. Jesus, we need the spirit of prayer. Can we lift holy hands to the Lord? Now, now, there is a difference between praying and crying out. I want you to cry out. I don't want you to be afraid to cry out. I want you to learn in church to, to, to begin to cry out to God. I don't want you to be ashamed or embarrassed or intimidated to cry out to God. I want you to cry out to God. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, touch me. Lord, do this for me. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Avails much, releasing great power dynamic in its working. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you to pour out the spirit of prayer upon us, Lord. Lord, we confess to you our prayerlessness. We confess to you our dryness. We confess to you the lukewarmness. We confess to you, Lord, that we have not prayed like we could. We have not entered the prayer closet. We have, we have, we have not entered that prayer closet, and we need that prayer closet. We need that private place. Now, Lord, help us to, to create a war room. A war room in our own house. A war room in our own place. If Susanna Wesley Lord could get under an apron, we can go into that closet. We can go into that room, and we can shut the door. We're asking you, Lord, to show us where to pray, to make that our prayer place. And Lord, that we would go there. Say with me, dear church, say, Lord, help me to go there. 
Help me to go there. Help me to go there. Put a fire under me. Put power under me. Put a thirst under me. Put a longing under me. Lord, in Jesus' name, do it, Lord. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. Now let's lift our hands and say, Lord, you said ask. I'm asking. You said seek. I'm seeking. You said knock. I'm knocking. Now, Lord, you made Peter a great prayer. You made Paul a great prayer. You're the one who made Susanna Wesley a great prayer. Now, Lord, do the same in us. In the name of Jesus. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I want us to just say something with me. Something powerful is waiting on the other side of your prayer. Come on. Come on. Come on. Give the Lord a come on. Give him a shout. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, how many of you believe that God heard that prayer? And we know that's according to his will. Amen. We know it is. So it says we know that we have what we requested of him because we know it's his will. So I want you to expect it. You're going to be sitting there and you're going to feel a nudge. Happen to me. It's happened to me this week. A nudge. Immediately respond to it. It's that inner prompting of the Holy Ghost. He's a praying Holy Spirit. And he's nudging you to join with him in the place of prayer. So you get right up. Turn off that favorite show. Close that iPad. I know it's hard. I know some of you get the shakes when you do it. But close that iPad. Turn off that phone. Anything electronic, get rid of it. Leave it outside the door. And get in there alone. And he's going to reward you in the open. Amen? You glad you came to church today?